who are with them, who teach them, reveal more of your love for them and help them to grow in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you love that scripture? All of it? Of course, all God's word is good and uh, helpful for us. But there's some challenge in this. I'm feeling a little bit uh, anxious wondering how you're going to respond to some of this because um, we're pressing into some of, in a way, the, the work, the challenge, the call of what it means to, as we've sung around, to follow him and uh, to be available to people around us, which is part of God's desire for us. Uh, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about this idea of a studio of love where we would come together and we would tune our instruments in order to develop a sense of unison of heart and mind and will because of what God is doing among us as a community. That, that calls for change and growth. That's uncomfortable. Let's be honest. So today is a special day for me and Carol. Um, oh, look at that. 40 years ago today, that was taken. <laughs> and, um, and it was snowing in the northeast of England in a little village church where we got married. And on that day, uh, we went through a, a ceremony where we were declared to be married, to become one, united, together. And yet the reality is we've spent 40 years, or I have, trying to live up to that calling. Trying to love this woman uniquely. Peter says, actually in his first letter, he says, you husbands, learn to live with your wives in an understanding way. This woman is to be the study of my life in knowing how to best love her and to represent her and to be one with her in a way that blesses and releases life towards her that she would flourish. And I would like to say at 20 years old, I was fully bought into that and totally committed to it. Five years later, I made a similar commitment to Christ. And I would like to say at that moment I was fully bought into it and fully committed to it. And yet there are parallels. It takes a lifetime to learn to love a human being. Never mind love the Lord of glory. But that is the journey and that is the call upon us. And we're called to be transformed. Uh, Paul talks about being changed from one degree of glory. It's glorious what God is doing. But there's to be incremental growth. And that's what, um, let's go back a bit. That's what, uh, oh, no, don't go back a bit. No, no, let's go forward. Let's go forward. <laughs> I forgot about that. Sorry, Gene. Uh, that's what Peter's talking about in this passage, is that, yes, you are declared to be forgiven, accepted, part of God's family, holy, righteous, glorious, but the goal isn't to just hang around until we're translated into glory and we experience that in the fullness. The goal is that we would increasingly exhibit and show those characteristics and traits in our lives here today with those around us. I love his prayer, uh, his wish really, his desire at the beginning 
uh, verse 2. We didn't read that, but he says, and it's a thing for Peter because he says in his first letter, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. Now we experience grace to come into relationship with him. Fullness of grace. But actually Peter's asking for more. It's grace to become fully that which you're destined for by one degree of glory unto the next. And Peter's asking that that would be multiplied to you. Yes, that you would know more and more of the peace of God, the, the shalom, the, 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 the sort of the rest, the fullness, the ease, the, to, to rest in who we are as his children, but in order that we would walk increasingly as grace givers, not just grace recipients. And over the coming five or six weeks, we're going to look at ten different ways in which in the Scriptures we see that we're invited to be grace givers to people around us. Starting with those closest to us, our Jerusalem, as it were. Because the, the call is great, but it's a call to increasingly know this God to grow in our knowledge of him. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a, it's a relational knowledge. It's a oneness that creates fruitfulness that actually multiplies ourselves into the lives of others through the manner in which we both know God and then seek to know others. It said Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. It's a kind of a knowledge that's um, a picture or metaphor for sexual reproduction. And in the spiritual life, there is meant to be a reproduction through our knowledge of God, of the life of God, not just in us, but in the lives of others. And that's where we're going. I'm still all excited about that, yeah? His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So that you may participate in the divine nature. You will become like God. Not God, but like Him. That comes through this relationship, this knowledge of Him and His power to set us free from all that would take us in the opposite direction because there's a battle going on and we're all aware of it and familiar with it. However, Peter writes this to the believers and his expectation is that all of us hear this call towards godliness and participation in the divine nature. Can you imagine that? Just turn and look at that person next to you. They are to be divine in their nature. Can you imagine, particularly if it's your spouse next to you? <laughs> that slightly imperfect human being, whoever it is. God's goal is the divine nature, godliness. How is that possible? Well, it takes work and it takes obedience and it takes a commitment to our growing. Now, this is not to say that we haven't been growing or that God hasn't been doing anything among us. On the contrary. The Apostle Paul uh, and I love his letters to the, the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. It's hard to say that. But in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, So affectionately longing for you, we were p well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. 
You see, the way people are transformed is not just through sharing a gospel, but it's the sharing of our lives. It's love, you see. It's back to that age-old thing. That we, because that's the nature of God. That's what it means. The divine nature is love. And that we would express that to others. Well, when we read further on, take a look, verse 9 of chapter 4. But concerning brotherly love, you've no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He's commending them. He's affirming them for what they're doing already. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you that you increase more and more. You see, that is the call. It's never to rest. and It's never to say, we've arrived, we're done. No, it's to say, but there's more. And there's an urgency about this. I urge you to do so more and more because it's that important. And if we are to be effective and productive as a community at Jericho Road Church, it's vitally important that we embrace this invitation, this call through our knowledge of Him to grow in love more and more and more. And for that we need help. Or I need help. I think we all need help. And this is not that we would love selective people but that we would be as a neighbor, as Jesus puts it with the religious leader. Well, who am I supposed to love? Well, who was a neighbor? And Jesus says, well, who was a neighbor to the man left broken and beaten? You see, it's the language of becoming. Am I becoming a person? And I will use this kind of language a lot because it's a recognition that we're in process of becoming all that God would intend for us. And these relational needs that I'm going to talk about over these coming weeks are, in a way, an expression of this divine nature that we're invited to grow in, that Peter references to some extent in the passage that we had read. I just want to say something about these relational needs first. (coughs) Remember last week we talked about God being a need-meeting God. He has created us with needs so that we would learn to live in humble dependence upon Him and each other. That's a part of your wiring. You were born and created with needs that you cannot satisfy on your own. This is why ultimately the self-reliant life strategy will not enable you to thrive. We're invited to risk depending upon a God we don't see through people that we do see. In whom dwells the Spirit of Christ. So to love people is the same as loving God, I would suggest. Relational needs are what it means, therefore, to be human. Every human being has them. They exist in all age groups. We're born with them, and we will take them to our grave. They exist in every people group around the world. Men and women have them. Sometimes guys are a little less comfortable with the language of intimacy and closeness and needs. We like to stand on our own two feet, do our own thing. Be independent and need no one? Wrong. You have needs you cannot meet on your own and you need people in your life. Remember where I started? It's not good for man to be alone. In many ways, these relational or emotional needs function just like physical needs. Just as you have need for air and food and shelter and water in order to survive because... If we don't have those things, eventually we 
we, we, we become weak and susceptible to disease and ultimately death. We die without physical needs being met. They're that important. We need them. And in a similar way, these relational needs are the same. In fact, one of the needs we're going to look at today is affection. And sadly, experiments were done last century where children had affection withheld from them and they literally died. It's horrendous that we would ever contemplate doing that with a human being. However, it does demonstrate how significant these things are. So they function just like physical needs. You also can't meet any of them on your own, like I've said. By definition, they're relational needs. They're met in the context of relationship with others. And in that context, they need to be both freely given and freely received. If I'm, we're looking at the group during the week about the danger of taking to get our needs met. When I take, I don't get the real thing. It's a counterfeit. It doesn't fully satisfy me because it's not being freely given. That's, that's the nature of how it's meant to be and how God has designed it. And we have to learn to freely receive from others. In fact, I often find in working with people that receiving is actually harder than giving. Why is that? I think in part it's because it takes more vulnerability, A, to acknowledge my need, and then to depend upon somebody else to satisfy that need in my life. But remember, we're about connection. We're building connection. The primary way we experience connection with other human beings, and with God for that matter, is through these needs being identified and met in our lives. So it's okay to have them. Anyone out there needy? Hallelujah. Great revelation in this community. Some of us are more aware of that than others. Some are a little bit, well, isn't that a bad thing? No. Needs themselves, that's how God created you. And the manner in which you get those needs met, however, that's often the issue. Remember, when we take and demand, um, A, people don't like to be around people like that, but we can label them as needy. The problem is not the need. The problem is the fashion in which we get those needs met. So when our needs are met, we experience connection or intimacy in terms of deeply knowing for the purpose of care. You won't deeply know God, as Peter invites us to know him, without experiencing intimacy with him. Entering into the space of knowing more about him and receiving care from him and giving care back to him. You know, you're invited to care for God in your relationship with him. Jesus modeled that and he invites us to do the same. And when we enter into the experience of Jesus as a man and God in his current and present state, we experience intimacy with him. When needs, however, are left unmet, or we experience the opposite of what we need, it creates distress in our lives. We experience aloneness. We struggle. Thank goodness we sung of about a God who stands with us in the fire. I was really touched by that line. The God who stands with us in the fire. So, Ten relational needs. After today, I'm going to make available to you a little assessment where you can figure out which of the ten are more important to you. Because one of the things I like to say to people is, paint a big target on yourself. 
Make it easy to love you. Let people know how you like to be given to. What's significant towards you so that people can give that in a way that's uh, meaningful to you. Because remember, we're all trying to grow more and more as Peter invites us to. So the first one, the first relational need is the need of acceptance. I'm accepted. You were condemned. Jesus was rejected that you would be accepted. Oh my goodness me. Do we ever stop and ponder that? The significance of that. But you see, you needed acceptance. And in your previous state, (laughs) without him, we're really not that acceptable to a holy God. But love hides a multitude of sin. Covers it. And love accepts even in the face of sin. Think about that because this is what we're called to do for one another. Because Paul says, now accept one another just as in Christ God accepted you. Who was excluded from that acceptance? Who was excluded? Who's not invited to the party? No one. And yet we, in our brokenness, can find ourselves picking and choosing. We are to receive others willingly and unconditionally, even when they are imperfect. And loving them in spite of their differences that may exist, particularly between the two of you. In fact, it's often at the point of difference that acceptance is really important. When people find themselves in a new place, no clues, in a new country, in a a different church community. What do they need? Acceptance. I'm not speaking about anyone in particular. I'm just generally throwing out ideas. It is really important that we separate a person's worth and their identity from their performance or behavior. Each each of us has worth because we're a human being. Created in the image of God. So for those of you who have raised children or are raising children, or will have the joy of raising children sometime in the future, this will test you to the nth degree. But you see, it's just teaching you something of the love of God. Because children take us to that place. Can I still accept and love my child in a way that they know they're fully accepted while I administer discipline and correction? because of their behavior and if I veer one side if it's all grace and no accountability we're in trouble and if it's all accountability and no grace we're in trouble also the the dignity and significance of the human being I worked with a guy in a actually down in Victoria, Texas he managed a store and he would tell me sometimes that when he's disciplining staff members, writing them up and occasionally firing them, quite often they will shake his hand and thank him before they leave his office. Because he understands the importance between a person and their identity and their worth and their behavior and performance. And you need to separate, you need to affirm the first whilst having courage to address the second. And when nobody ever addresses the issues around our behavior and our performance, we are left stuck at times. And God does this for us, but he often does it through relationships that he provides us. I've got a little video clip. 
wanted to show you. Can we get that video up there, Gene? So, uh, Les Miserables. Oh. Some of you will be familiar with that story from Les Mis. And the story is about his wrestling with this experience and how it plays out. Knowing his, you know, the wrong in his life. Knowing that he's made mistakes. And yet here's this, this bishop, this man who accepts him and wants to restore him. You see, what gives him power to speak into his life the way he did was the love that he extended to him. The mercy that he showed him. The acceptance in spite of the wrongdoing. And it's actually the, the lawgiver, the police guy, who uh, battles in his place because he doesn't know anything about this kind of freedom. You see, when our focus is just on the law, we're lost. But when we begin to experience, in spite of our law breaking, the full acceptance of God and of people in our lives, the fact that Carol, 40 years on, chooses to love me in the way she does, despite me. Because I've been far from perfect. It amazes me. So how do we extend this love to one another? I've got one or two quick examples, then I want you to spend a little time just talking to somebody. We look beyond people's faults. faults. That is not what defines us. Because we all have them. There has to be something more. Well, there is. It's God-given. It's the gold you like to talk about. It's the light that was put into all of us. John 1. Because we're made in His image. Second thing. We're for to forgive others when they commit offenses against us. This is how we accept people. We choose to let it go. It's one of the most beautiful things one human being or one God can do to another human being. It's a powerful way in which we accept one another. And unforgiveness short-circuits acceptance. We reject and we withhold. Third one. We make a special effort to help others feel accepted when they experience failure or disappointment. Like I said, when we're most disappointed with ourselves because of what we do, we're most acutely aware of the acceptance of others. What a powerful way we can minister love into somebody's mind and heart when we affirm their value at the point of failure. Next one. Demonstrate genuine acceptance of those who are of different race, nationality or socio-economic group. Okay, a lot of words there. People who are different from us. Really sad to see some things going on in the United States, even just yesterday, just between nations. Anyway, we'll talk about that too much. However, the call of Christ is that we would reach out to, we would welcome in the stranger. It's hospitality. Because we were all strangers. And we've all been welcomed in. Remember, that's where we started. And it's hard with people who are different from us because we don't feel comfortable. But neither do they. And the grace of God in us. This is why Peter prays for grace to be multiplied so that we would be like God. This is the divine nature. Next one be especially sensitive to others need for acceptance when they enter into a new environment you know when people visit this community and if you're here you're so so welcome we're so glad that you're with us but we need to be looking out for people because it's uncomfortable it's hard to come into a church community 
It's hard to go into somebody's house. It's hard to enter into an existing group of any kind. But acceptance, the spirit of acceptance, means I look for and I reach out. I take initiative to give to people like that. Because I know what that is like and how hard that can be. And I make the first move. So, I would like you to think about those five things. <coughs> uh, one of the things I'm especially grateful for with Carol is we were actually in the same school for a number of years and, and, and I used to um, make her life uncomfortable at times. I would joke and be sarcastic in ways that were very hurtful to her. Because it was the only way I knew how to relate, actually. Some of my family background, unfortunately. Um, that was a way of being close to people. But it, it was actually very hurtful. And the fact that I've experienced Carol being able to talk about that um, and to forgive me for things like that and to still accept me and want to marry me is incredibly powerful, for which I'm amazingly thankful. What do you find hard? What, what would be a growth area for you of these five around the relational need of acceptance with other people? Why don't you just take a moment, reflect with somebody near you, and if you'd like to, pray for one another. Okay, off you go. Be brave. Take a risk. Own the struggle. All right, how are we doing? Anyone need a bit more time or you all have a chance to talk about that some? I want to encourage you in this coming week, be looking for opportunities to meet people at this place of acceptance. You know, when we think about the mission of the church, it's to love people well at their point of need. To give them a taste of that before we start telling them about the God who is so good that he loves them like that. They need to see it rooted, incarnated, with skin on, in you. Alright, the second one, and I'm going to have to rush to this quickly because pretty much my time is all gone. The second need I mentioned is the relational need of affection. Affection is met when, with, when we express care and closeness through touch and words, such as I love you, I care about you, I like you, you're a great friend. Essentially, affection is um, communicating that we like people, we enjoy being with them. Hugely, hugely important. I love the way in which, which you know, we experience the affection. Remember, Paul talks about the affection of Christ. And um, I remember reading one of the old writers talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and him telling the story. Experiencing the baptism of the Spirit is a bit like going from a place where, you know, as a child you're walking along the road and you're holding your dad's hand and uh, you're kind of enjoying the day and the time together and you're conversing. And all of a sudden, dad sweeps down and he lifts up his child and he holds them and he hugs them and he just holds them close. Suddenly we've gone to a different level of affection and connection. And I would say in my life, the experience of the Spirit, the fullness of God, was a profound experience of affection. That God touched me in a way that I needed to affirm something of his love for me. And we get the opportunity. Now, we live in a world that's somewhat messed up because of the abuse of this. And we've got to be careful and sensitive for people who are uncomfortable with different ways 
of experiencing physical connection. That's, that's a way of respecting them. We're going to look at respect later in, in the series. However, all of us need affection. We all need to know that we're welcomed and we're liked. Um, let's skip the video just for the sake of time and let's look at um, these three or four things. So we give affection through physical touch. Um, I didn't grow up in a family where we did much of this at all, and certainly not from my dad. In fact, the first time I went to hug my dad as a believer, freaked him out. He said, I thought you were going to kiss me or something. <laughs> said, we could do that. Now he holds on to me. And it's a wonderful thing. I wish it hadn't taken 90 years to get there. It was his 90th birthday. He actually said to me, I love you, directly to me as he held me. I wish it hadn't taken 90 years, but I'm thankful that we got there. But boy, I needed that as a 9-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as an 18-year-old. I like to often put my hand on people's shoulders. Maybe I'll take a license of that. Apologies if that feels uncomfortable. I like to hug people. I know for some people, this might be the only place you get a hug. And we need affection. We need touch from one another. But we need it appropriately. Secondly, we verbalize our love and care by speaking words of endearment, words of, for people are special. It's kind of really funny working in a, in a business that sells wood, so tough Texan boys, and hearing them grow in their freedom to say to people they work with, I love you, guys to guys. And, and how they may start just very quickly on a phone call and hanging up without <laughs> any chance for a reaction, but how they over time enter into a freedom and it is genuine and real. It's not just words. You see, we feel this stuff often, but we're afraid to communicate it. Well, it has no power. You see, all the power of God that he pours into us in this place, all the celebrating and rejoicing, all the encounter with God, if it never translates into our being doers of the word and engaging people at their point of need in the workplace and in our communities, it's of no use. Because that's what it's destined for. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you with that. He breathed on us, received the Holy Spirit. Because I'm sending you. We're all on mission. That's what it means. That's what mission means, to be sent. We all have a sense of an apostolic calling of being sent out. But you don't have to cross the sea. As a friend of mine used to say, missionary isn't someone who crosses the sea but sees the cross, who understands God has reached out and touched their lives and cannot, cannot but withhold that from others through their love for them. Love people. Don't tell them what's wrong with them. Love them. Meet them at their point of need. Now, there may be a time to for them to experience truth as well but that's not the starting point the starting point as Jesus told his disciples was I'm getting distracted here bless people pray for them eat with them get to know their needs heal them meet their needs then tell them about the kingdom we want to tell them about the kingdom and why we're moving on because they don't want to hear it anyway pet peeve come back to that later number three Write notes expressing how you feel about others and what they've done. Some people enjoy receiving notes. I had a conversation this week with somebody who told me that. And I want to hear and honor and act on that. I want to be a doer of the word. 
And for some people that's really significant. Worked with people who have kept every single note anyone has ever given to them. It is so meaningful. I'm not a big card note person, but occasionally it touches me. But for some people, hugely, hugely significant. Got to know them. Learn to live in an understanding way. Study them. Were there any more? Oh, I know one. Smile more. Particularly when I'm preaching. Frown less. <laughs> I know this is big for Carol. When you walk into a room and people just look up and smirk, what do you feel? It doesn't feel very affectionate. It doesn't feel like you're, you're pleased to see me. You like me. You want me here. But when you smile, the whole world smiles with you. Something like that. That's how the saying goes, isn't it? The thing is, have I got, is it in me? Is it in me to show affection in this way? Or do I need more of the grace, more of the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, it's through the power of God's love that he's touched us in this way that sets us free from what Peter talks about, that corruption, the decay, the fact that we're all swerving to rot, left alone. But with God, with Christ, I'm being made new. All things are being made new and be renewed in his image and in his love and being transformed from one degree because I'm receiving freely from him. And whether it's with your spouse or your children or your workmates, your friends, are we growing in this expression of affection for one another? Do we verbalize our love? That's been a huge growth thing for me. I remember saying that to Carol and heart's going like crazy but, I've, but learning to say it to friends learning to you know, say it a lot to my kids never heard it from my own parents growing up but I wanted them to know and I wanted us to experience a level of connection and intimacy together so two of the ten fill out the assessment when it comes your way share it with somebody near to you that's all I ask but commit to engage in the process of becoming, of growing, adding to your faith. You see, if only we have his faith, we've got nothing, really. I mean, not nothing. But the demons have faith. They know the truth. But what do they do with it? So add to your faith godliness, self-control, perseverance, brotherly affection, love, you see, these are divine characteristics. We've got to add to our faith. We've got to walk in the truth. We've got to become the divine nature. So, um, let's stand, because I've got something to help us in this. You know, sometimes in churches we recite the creed. Well, I don't know if you recite the creed, but in some churches I've been, we recite the creed. It's an affirmation of what we believe, and what we believe is important. So I wrote... A sort of a confession of love that I thought whilst we're looking through these things we would share in this together bold step Mike I know but I'm inviting you to press into this and become this you see and so we're just we're just going to read out the two that relate to these two needs we've talked about of acceptance and affection but it starts with why we do this we do this because God first loved us so let's read this together we love because God first loved us and poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We love because Christ accepted us 
in order to bring praise to God. We love because, like Paul, we have experienced the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's take a moment and let's share God's grace and peace with one another. And if it means a high five, a chest bump, a hug, whatever it may be that feels comfortable, let's take some time and give care to one another and peace. And if somebody could tell the children and the Sunday school that we're ready for them to come back, that would be great.